Hello, my friends. Today, I take you through some confidential documents released to us through Access to Information, showing Teresa Tam swearing an oath of confidentiality and loyalty to China's World Health Organization. It's incredible. She promised to keep their secrets from us. She promised not to warn us. I'll show you the documents you can see for yourself. Uh, before I get to those, let me invite you to become a Rebel News Plus subscriber. Listen, I'm going to read these documents to you, but I wish you could see them with your eyes. And I show them on the screen, and you can see that by getting the video version of the podcast. And let's just go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. It's 8 bucks a month or 80 bucks if you buy the whole year. And you get all the good stuff, all the videos. Sheila Gunn-Reed, David Menzies, Andrew Chapados have weekly videos too. I think it's good value for your money. And frankly, even if it wasn't, it's how we survive because we don't take money from Justin Trudeau. So please consider joining Rebel News Plus. Just go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. Okay, here's the podcast. Tonight, internal government documents show that Theresa Tam was on the World Health Organization staff even while she was publicly holding herself out as Canada's public health officer. It's February 23rd, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it because Some of the most patriotic people you'll ever meet are new immigrants, especially if they fled here from a place that was a dictatorship. I can't help but notice that a disproportionate number of people at the freedom rallies against lockdowns across Canada have an Eastern European accent, which tells me they came from a former police state like the Soviet Union or the countries it dominated like Poland. I think it's why Poland and Hungary are to this day more freedom-oriented than Western Europe or even us here in North America. And I mention this because I want to prove to you that new immigrants can often be more passionate about Canadian and American values than people who were born here because sometimes we take it for granted. Now, I'm obviously not saying that that applies to everyone. Some people come here for economic reasons or reasons of inertia or family reasons or because someone else in their life made a decision. But those who care about freedom and came here with that in mind are often more switched on to these issues, I think. I, I mean, for example, the Cuban community in Miami meets that test. I mean, there is no one more passionate about the risk of Islamism I find, than people who fled radical Islam from dictatorships like Iran or Pakistan. Remember these good guys from a rally we had during the M103 debates? Yeah, I uh, support freedom of speech. Uh, never I uh, thought that even in Canada I should support the one day of freedom of speech. Because I remember that when I was in Iran, uh, I uh, went to jail because of lack of uh, freedom of speech in my own country. Uh, I'm a political refugee from Iran. I've been to prison, I've been under uh, Islamic law, and I know how it starts and I know how it ends. And it always starts with, the, for some reason, unity of left and Islamists. 
and it scares me. So I'm from Pakistan and I'm a Christian and uh, my family came here looking for a better life for themselves. We immigrated to this country and we were so blessed to be in a place where our freedoms were, were well we had freedoms. Where we come from we definitely did not um, and we also have Sharia law over there including the blasphemy law which is just an obscene draconian law um, that has just destroyed the lives of so many minorities and so many Muslims. And so this to us is kind of the opening towards that law. And we just, we have to be against it. Okay, now that I've made my point, let me tell you what I think is fair game. I don't think it's fair game to accuse someone of having dual loyalties to another place simply because they come from there. I don't think that's fair. Like I say, often people come here for great reasons, but I do think it is fair game to accuse someone of having a dual loyalty if they do, in fact, have a dual loyalty. And I mean that in a very tangible way if they are paid by someone else to promote a certain point of view, for example. That's why Parliament, for uh, instance, requires MPs to disclose other sources of income, other business interests, just because if you're paid by someone else or something else, you are, by definition, in a position of split loyalties. You can't ride two horses. At least let us know what your other loyalties are. So that's a very long preamble to my story today. New documents obtained by Rebel News through an access to information request show that Teresa Tam, Trudeau's public health officer, had a deep conflict of interest with the China-controlled World Health Organization all throughout the key moments of the pandemic. She was on their staff. She was loyal to them. She had to be. She signed an agreement with them to keep their secrets confidential, even to keep their secrets from Canadians. Stop right there for a moment. Theresa Tam, whose job it was, we thought, to protect us from the virus that came from China, she signed a contract forbidding her from telling us things she found out about the virus at the World Health Organization if it would embarrass her bosses at the China-controlled WHO. That is a conflict of interest. That's a conflict of loyalties. She was loyal to them, not to us. And we know this because she signed a contract to that effect. That's one of the reasons we set up our petition at firetam.com, a petition that now has over 50,000 signatures. You just can't obey China's WHO and also be loyal to Canada. You, you, you can't because they're at odds. Derek Sloan made that same point during his campaign for conservative leader. He was denounced as racist, as if it was a racial thing. Yeah, it's not racist to criticize the country of China, the dictatorship, the government of China. It's got nothing to do with Tam's ethnicity. It has to do with her pledging loyalty to the WHO, the chief instrument that China used to lie to the West about the pandemic. I mean, remember this tweet here? Preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human -human transmission of the novel coronavirus 2019, identified in Wuhan, China. That was a lie. That cost millions of lives and trillions of dollars. But Teresa Tam worked for them while also claiming to work for us. Well, you can't do both. So let's dive right into the access to information documents. You can see all of them at a link underneath this video for yourself. Uh, the documents cover one of the most important meetings that the World Health Organization had 
in the pandemic. It was very early. It was in January, right around when they were pumping out lies like that tweet I just read to you saying the virus isn't the problem. Don't you worry. China says. So China was banning flights from Wuhan to Beijing or other Chinese cities, but they were telling the West not to worry about it, saying you can't catch it. And their chief tool of propaganda was the WHO, the World Health Organization. Well, it was obvious to pretty much everyone what was going on pretty soon. So the WHO called an emergency meeting about the virus. It was so important, this meeting, that major newspapers like the Guardian from Manchester did a moment-by-moment analysis of it. I've shown you this story before. It's fascinating. Here's their sort of TikTok hour-by-hour report. Caught in a superpower struggle, the inside story of the World Health Organization's response to coronavirus. Caught between the U.S. and China, the World Health Body has been unable to enforce compliance or information sharing. Now, by the way, the Guardian loves the U.N., they love China, so this is not right-wing propaganda. It was at this meeting that China insisted there was no pandemic. Nothing was an emergency. Everything was fine. And would people please just shut up? So that was China's point of view. That's China's interests. And of course, China controls the World Health Organization. So it became the WHO's interest. Here, let me read a couple of key paragraphs from The Guardian. China argued against declaring an emergency on the 22nd of January, but could not have carried the argument alone. The other emergency members and advisors were experts from the U.S., Thailand, Russia, France, South Korea, Canada, Japan, Netherlands, Australia, Senegal, Singapore, Saudi Arabia, Sweden, and New Zealand. So do you understand what was happening there? It was a big vote. America wanted to call it a pandemic. China said no. So whose side was Canada on? Because it was a vote. Let me read. Their advice is confidential, but for the vote to have been split, several Western or Western-aligned representatives must have voted with Beijing. Here's one of the conclusions The Guardian drew. Again and again, the events of January reflected the difficulties Tedros, that's the Chinese-installed head of the World Health Organization, Tedros and his organization faced in negotiating a path between two hostile superpowers and the egos of their leaders without any independent powers to enforce compliance and information sharing. Got it. So this was the big meeting by the big bosses at the China-controlled WHO. Does the WHO continue to lie to cover up for China, or do they ring the alarm for the whole world? Well, guess who was at that meeting for Canada? Theresa Tam. She was one of the big shots at that secret meeting. And to this day, she will not tell us who she voted for, China or the rest of the world. Look at page two of the access to information requests we received from the government. Tam was not just an observer at this meeting. She was an advisor. She gave advice. What advice did she give? Did she provide advice to keep China's secrets? Or did she say, we've got to warn the world? Why can't we know what she did and said? Teresa Tam wanted to be much more than just an observer. You know, I sort of wish we had an observer there, someone who would have observed and then reported back to us here in Canada to let us know what was really happening. Someone loyal to us first, just watching China lie, not being part of the lie. Instead, she said, 
Have you heard whether I will be participating as an observer? She really was excited about being a player. But look at page five of the documents. She had to disclose all of her conflicts of interest to the China-run World Health Organization. So she had to disclose other things, other interests, other loyalties to them. But Trudeau has never made her, to this day, disclose her conflicts to us. And look at this. She had to agree to keep China's secrets. Please recall that participation in any aspect of an IHR emergency committee is subject to the following mandatory requirements. Continuing compliance with the requirements in the confidentiality undertaking and copyright assignment, which will be sent to you. Continuing compliance with the requirements in the Declaration of Interest for World Health Organization experts. Please note that compliance with the provisions in the Declaration of Interest for World Health Organization experts is an initial and ongoing obligation. Accordingly, should actual or potential conflicts exist, arise, or become known before or after participation in an emergency committee has been commenced, continued participation may be disallowed disclosures required, or other steps taken as determined by the Director General. So she can't tell us what happened. She's got to keep those secrets forever. She swore herself to secrecy. That's what confidentiality means, to protect China's secrets. She can't tell us. And indeed, she hasn't, has she? Tam continued to work for the World Health Organization for months, parroting their advice here. She didn't deviate a word from their official line, did she? How could she? She worked for them. She swore an oath of loyalty to them. And what a laugh. When the Trudeau government got worried that someone might ask questions about this, their proposed spin was that, oh, no, 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 no. She's just there in her um, personal capacity. Nothing official. It's just her hobby, you know. I mean, some people collect stamps. Some people build model railways. Some people are on the secret World Health Organization Committee voting to keep China's secrets about the Wuhan virus as long as possible. Of course, it's not personal. We know this in part because we've got government documents on it. The government was nervous about this. Someone in Trudeau's parliamentary affairs branch started asking for a draft question and answers on her various World Health Organization roles in her personal capacity. They wanted to get ready for a parliamentary committee. They were worried someone might ask. Uh, these are the questions they were worried about, and they had spin doctors ready to go about World Health Organization. Question, why is the federal government allowing so many temporary foreign workers into Canada when there is so much unemployment and there is also a high risk of importing additional cases of COVID-19? So they had a few people ready to answer that. Question, how will the federal government guarantee that temporary foreign workers will not become a source of additional COVID. You can see the spin doctors there. Here's a, here's a good one. Why is Canada continuing to support the World Health Organization when other countries have either halted or are reconsidering their support? And then, and they, and Foreign Affairs is going to answer that, but here's the key one. Look at this. By the way, I don't think any of these questions were ever asked. Here's the key question. As a member of the Independent Oversight and Advisory Committee at the World Health Organization, what has Dr. Theresa Tam done to improve this organization? And here are the four spin doctors for that. Of course, I, I don't think anyone cares what she would have done to improve them. It's to protect us that's more important. But that's the funny thing. 
No one ever asked these questions, did they? Trudeau's staff were so worried people would ask accountability questions. Why are you even in the World Health Organization? Why are you letting people still flow into the country? What did Theresa Tam do to fix things? But I don't think anyone ever asked those. Uh, I don't think the Conservative Party did either, except Eric Sloan. The media party didn't um, because they all love Theresa Tam. Sure, she's been wrong on every single issue since the beginning. Sure, she's really creepy sometimes with bizarre advice about wearing masks when you have sex. Surely she's flip-flopped and basically said whatever China and the World Health Organization have said on everything from the transmissibility and flights and masks, whatever. Sure, she calls anyone who worried about the virus racist, especially those who wanted to cut off flights from China a year ago. But she's the high priestess of the lockdowns. And they love that. The media does, the political class, they all love her. So I'm quite sure that while these access to information documents I show you here will shock you how loyal she was to China, how she swore she'd keep China's secrets, and indeed she has, these documents might shock you, but I don't think they will even be so much as reported on by the mainstream media or picked up by the Conservative Party, let alone be a cause for scandal as they ought to be. Of course, Theresa Tam obeys China's World Health Organization and the UN. I mean, so does Justin Trudeau. And that never bothered the media, did it? Stay with us for more. being here. Um, people keep asking us, what can you do for us? Open your churches. I'm a friend of James Coates. He was my pastor for a year and um, he's a fantastic man and, uh, and a faithful servant of Jesus. And we stand here um, for uh, in, 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 uh, in support of him, but also to uh, send the government a message that uh, you, can't, you can't take our rights away. That's not your job. Y your job is to protect our rights. And uh, so we, we come here to, to try to get the message out to the, the government that, the, they, that this is a, a miscarriage of justice and uh, he needs to make it right. Why did you come down to support Pastor James? Freedom of religion, freedom of expression of religion. I might interpret it a little bit my diff different, how I obey different rules from the government and that, but I think this is a draconian measure and therefore I felt that it's time to stand up and speak. Well, those are what we call streeters or man on the street interviews, Vox Populi, a huge crowd outside Edmonton's Remand Center, a maximum security holding facility in which Pastor James Coast, Coates now sits. He's there for the non-crime of opening up his church. Whereas actual criminals, hundreds of them, were let out of the Remand Center because of the same virus. It doesn't make sense. Joining us now to help us try and make sense of it is our chief reporter, Sheila Gunn-Reed, who joins us now via Skype. Great to see you again, Sheila. Hey, Ezra. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, come on. It's my pleasure. Um, now, you were at the Grace Life Church just west of Edmonton on Sunday. We had a bit of a rebel team with you. Normally, you're a lone ranger on the prairies, but yeah. we had some extra hands there. We thought something big was going to happen. 
Tell me what, what it was like on Sunday. A um, bunch of cop cars showed up, but they didn't actually do anything, did they? Sure, yeah. Uh, to go back a little bit, we actually were there before 5 a.m. because we thought that the RCMP were going to have a little bit of an Adam Skelly moment, show up and change the locks on the church because the local RCMP have been pretty hands-off with the church. They're not barging in and hauling people away in handcuffs. That's not how they've been. And so we thought the best way for the police to avoid a confrontation, because we knew the congregants were coming back and another pastor was coming in, that they would come in the early hours of the morning to change the locks. Luckily, they did not, although they did surveil the place um, in the wee hours of the morning. Yeah, so you were but, there, you were there, I think, at 5. And it didn't, just the sunrise in, in that part isn't until around 7.30, if my, my math is right. So you sat yeah. there, because... That's sort of how they rolled in Toronto when they shut down Adam yeah. Skelly's barbecue. But you say the cops were patrolling, though. They did patrol past twice. They did not come in. Now, later on, as the day picked up and as um, services started at the church, the service, by the way, was at capacity. They had the auditorium full. The overflow was full. They reached fire code, which is an actual safety issue and not like COVID. And they had uh, people in their vehicles in the parking lot and along the street watching the live stream. And they also had loudspeakers outside where people were sitting on benches to mm. listen. And the, the church was bringing out hot drinks to keep everybody warm because it is still winter here in Alberta. Mm -hmm. But there were at one point seven uh, police and law enforcement local bylaw vehicles um, uh, sort of on the street outside of the church, but nobody ever came into the church and no tickets were issued. So I think they were doing that gathering evidence thing on behalf of Alberta Health Services that they repeatedly did at Chris Scott's whistle stop. Yeah, you know, I think it is possible for the police to arrest one, two, three hundred people. It is, of course, possible. Mm -hmm. um, it would require an enormous police presence, a lot of vehicles. Uh, you would have a horrific scene that would be so shocking, uh, it could topple the government. So I've, at least where we are now. Now, if things continue to go down the road of a police state and authoritarianism for another year or two, that may not topple the government at all. I mean, that's what my old friend John O'Sullivan used to say. It's easier to fight in the first ditch than the last ditch because now people are still concerned about civil liberties. They see them eroding, and the police state has not yet fully hardened. But uh, if this were to happen a year from now, oh, I really do think they would arrest 300 people. Oh, for sure. And the thing is with Grace Life, they said you can come every single week and arrest whatever pastor we have on the pulpit and there will be another pastor here the following week for you you to arrest and it's not going to stop us mm -hmm. they won't be deterred the government arresting and taking away their pastor and now holding him for a week i think today begins the eighth day of confinement um it, it hasn't changed anything for them. They are going to gather and they are going to pray and they are going to worship and they are not going to be limited by the government. Well, that's incredible. You don't often see that kind of courage. You would expect it from religious people. I mean, um, the lockdownism, which is, I call, which is the phrase I'm using because the lockdown is the thing, but the belief yeah. in lockdowns, the superstitious faith in them that contrary to science, they're needed. No, they're not needed. 
that contrary to science, they work. No, they don't actually work. States that are locked down haven't fared any better in the United States than states that are open, like you know, Florida. Um, that masks, they work, then they don't work, then they work, but you need two of them to make them. Like this ever-changing priesthood, uh, the high priest Anthony Fauci, his Canadian mm-hmm. priestess, uh, Teresa Tam, that we should hang on their every word. We cannot challenge them or we're heretics. We have to understand. Like it, It's a superstition that has filled the void uh, for people who have no faith or religious belief. So you would think naturally that if anyone is going to be able to defy lockdownism as a creed, it would be people who actually think a lot about, well, what do I believe in and why and who do obey, I obey and why and what authorities are in my life and who do I have to defer. Like most people, I don't think, think about that stuff as much as a religious person would, especially a religious Christian. Uh, well, sure. And, you know, when I was at the remand center, because there was a protest on the Saturday before the Sunday of the service at Grace Life, there was a protest at the remand center and largely a religious protest. However, there were plenty of people there who identified as non religious or sort of indifferent to the whole idea of religion, but they were there also to show support for Pastor James because they truly just believe in free speech and free thought and all those rights that are so sacred to us that we entrench them uh, in the charter. But you're dealing with people here who all, it's very black and white for them. They know I am obedient to God. And often God and government are not in conflict with each other. And, you know, most of our laws as they're written are sort of stemming from the, um, stemming from the Bible and the laws that God gave them. So often they don't find themselves on the wrong side of the law, but sometimes they do find themselves in opposition to the government and they know it's very black and white. It's not something they even have to give all that much thought to. They know their obedience is to God because while you can put them in earthly shackles, the idea of shackles for all eternity is a little bit more frightening for people of faith. Mm -hmm. Well, um, it's, it's quite a thing. And we had a team down in Calgary at a much smaller church there that was inspired by the Edmonton Area Church. And there were two uh, Alberta bylaw vans there. I think they were bylaw vans. Maybe one was, I, I didn't quite make up the markings. They weren't Calgary police. But what's interesting, Kean was there and our videographer, Mocha. And when Kean and Mocha came to confront these law enforcement types, they ran away. They, they ran and they got in their vehicles and they scurried about two blocks away. Well, little did they know that we had a drone and I don't know if you can see this footage right here, but we had the drone follow them, come down low, film them. They took a photo of the drone and then our drone goes back to the church. So <laughs> what's my point other than it was really fun? I think that if you are a bylaw enforcement officer in Canada in February 2021, you still think of yourself as a person who, you know, well, is a car parked somewhere it shouldn't be? Is uh, a dog off leash? Is like, is there some low level bylaw infraction um, that is too mundane for a real policeman to come? You go around, you're sort of like a a bit of a community busybody making sure things are fine. Mm -hmm. And you probably think of yourself as a good guy. 
you probably, you know, keep things neat, tidy, orderly kind of thing. And now you're being told that you are a secret policeman going to shut down an illegal church, and you are actually being told that you have to knock on the door of a church and hand a ticket to a pastor? Now, there are some people out there who have in their blood an authoritarian streak, uh, uh, who want to be cruel and want to command others. But I've got to think that an ordinary bylaw officer in Canada, at least for now, is uncomfortable with his new mission of shutting down churches. Like That's why I said for now. One, two years down the road, I'm sure they'll be conditioned into this cruelty, and they'll love it. They'll love it, like in the book Fahrenheit 451, the thrill of burning books, the smell of the kerosene almost became erotic for the official book burners. So I'm sure if this continues for another year, Sheila, you'll have cops who love smashing churches. But for now, I don't think it's a normal thing. No, but as you are right, the further we get away from that first two weeks to flatten the curve, the more normal this is and the further we get away from what normal was. Um, I, when I was at the at Grace Life and there were people who, you know, they they hadn't they had come from sort of all around to go to Grace Life, and even though they try their best to limit um, their attendance to their registered congregants just because everybody wants to come. But they said for a lot of people coming into the church, it was normal again. And mm. it was like a wave of normal washed over mm. them. Oh, yes, this is what it used right. to be like in the right. before times. In the before and times. in the before times. And so this is what it's like when we gather with our friends and our family in a community of believers and we sing without masks on and we're side by side. And sometimes we're holding hands. We're raising our hands to praise God. You remember how far you've come right. and Grace Life serves as a baseline wow. for what normal was. And I think that's why some of these more authoritarian types are very eager to crack down on these rebellion, rebellious churches. And I hate to use the word rebellious churches because they're not rebellious. They're being normal. Yeah. And but that's that's why there's this drive to crack down on these churches because they they hold sacred that normalcy that so many of us are starting to forget about. Yeah, you're so right. The before times, I use that phrase too much. Well, Sheila, I'm so glad that you're leading our coverage there. We had a few rebels come out to, to give you some reinforcements. I hope you'll keep covering the story. It should be a national scandal that a pastor is now in jail for a week for this. But like I say, lockdownism is the new religion of the establishment. So, you know, CBC, Globe and Mail, they don't really care. They probably don't like Christians much to begin with. And if one of them is defying St. Teresa Tam, well, he has to be jailed. Keep it up, my friend. I definitely will. And I want to point out that I must, because I'm the only journalist, or our team now is, we're the only journalist that, journalists that have been ever allowed inside Grace Life on the property to tell their side of the story. So I know at Rebel News, we take the trust of the congregation very seriously, and we're going to continue to not tell the other side of the story, to tell the full story of what's right. happening at Grace Life. Right on. Thanks. All right. There you have it. Sheila Gunn-Reed. And by the way, if you haven't signed our petition yet, go to freepastorjames.com. Last I checked, we had nearly 5,000 signatures on YouTube. Stay with us. More ahead.
On my show last night, Wendy writes, Trudeau also refused to recognize the Yazidis' genocide by ISIL. And no one bothers to talk about the persecution of Falun Gong. Apparently only Canadians are capable of great evil. Yeah, I think I saw an image today of Trudeau marching with Armenians um, about the Armenian genocide. I don't know if he's verbally said those words. So I think he does the math. Who does he care about and not care about? How many groups of a certain ethnicity are in Canada? I think Trudeau um, really will say anything or do anything if there's money or votes involved. I think he's deeply amoral. He only really cares about himself. Paul writes, it's easier to fool someone than it is to convince them they've been fooled. I think that's right, isn't it? Larry writes, Trudeau admires their basic dictatorship system. That alone should have disqualified him from office, but here we are. You can't beat someone with no one. Has Aaron O'Toole made the case to Canadians that he'd be a better prime minister? I don't know. If you're a liberal, you're not going to vote for him. And if you're a conservative, why would you get off your couch to support him? I don't think he supports you. Uh, I think if you look at the past six months, what has Aaron O'Toole done to define his term, his short term, as leader? I have a tough time listing anything other than sacking people he doesn't like, whether it was Jim Carahalios, Derek Sloan. I think they're about to throw Cheryl Gallant out of the party. He sacked Pierre Polyev. He threw Rebel News under the bus. I think if I had to name an accomplishment of Aaron O'Toole these last six months, it would be cancel culture, as in the doing it, not the fighting against it. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.